Okay, listen to Jesus. He speaks to us. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, everybody say, but I say, that's Jesus' way of saying, my teaching is, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Shout, true children. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Shout amen. Amen. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for uh, the time to be together in worship. And we remember our musician Vince who has uh, taken ill over the last few days and is not able to work for the next two weeks. We pray that you'll release unique healing into his body, restore him and, uh, to his health and bring him back to us. And uh, we give you thanks and praise for our newest addition to our music team, Anton. And we celebrate and give you glory for him. Now, bless this word. Use it in unique ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, is Anton around? I don't see him. He's in the green room. Anyway, uh, we picked up uh, an amazing new uh, musician, uh, Anton. Can we just celebrate, give God a hand, praise? You'll see him. He'll be back out here. Anton Neal. So happy to have him. Okay. Uh, Today, I want to talk about radical living. Now, here is the uh, radical loving, rather. Uh, Here is the the, uh, theme for the series. Uh, being a Christian is all about making really a radical decision to follow. Everybody say follow. Follow, follow Jesus. It says that I've decided that I'm going to seek to be like him, to do like him, to be his representative in the world. Follow. Today the big ideal is that following Jesus involves radical loving, or rather, loving radically. The last few weeks we've talked about radical generosity and sacrifice, but today it also includes loving radically. What does that look like? Well, in the passage that we read, uh, Matthew is the writer and he helps us to hear Jesus, and Jesus essentially starting at verse 21, working his way all the way down, has been kind of reinterpreting the law, the teaching and the application of the law for the Jewish community that's listening to him. So he starts about, talks about uh, what the law says about murder, and he says, but here's what I teach. He talks about what the law says about adultery, but here's what I teach. What the law says about divorce, he says, but here's what I teach. What the law says about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but here's what I teach. And then he gets to this thing about love. And then he says, well, well here's what the law says about, at least what you've heard the law says about love. That you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, actually, he's quoting Leviticus 19.18. And actually, it doesn't say hate your enemies. It does say love your neighbors. But the rabbinical tradition added this notion of, of hate your enemies as an implication. He says, but I teach. Everybody say, I teach. He says, I'm teaching 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can somebody say radical? Can somebody say not normal? <laughs> Whatever you want to say about that passage, you have to conclude that's not a normal expression of love, at least how we experience it. I mean, somebody here is like thinking, love my enemies, it's hard enough for me to love my mama. <laughs> really, love my enemies. It's just this notion of radical love. Now, there's a lot of expressions of radical love in the world around us. For example, we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, serving at a variety of community organizations and schools where radical love is expressing itself. This, this not normal love. For example, one of the places we're going to go is a City Team uh, in San Jose. Uh, and if you go to City Team's website, you'll find a story of a man who's been touched by the radical love that flows out of City Team. His name is Fred, and, and he said that about 27 years ago, he ended up being unemployed. He became so depressed and so anxiety-filled that he stopped eating. And he stopped eating long enough to literally to begin to starve to death. Somehow he ended up in the hospital. They kind of took care of him. When he got out of the hospital two days before Thanksgiving, he had nowhere to go, no family to go to, no home to go to. He ended up at City Team there in San Jose. They have a homeless shelter there. And there he was given a Thanksgiving meal. He couldn't, he could only eat a few bites of the Thanksgiving meal. But rather than sitting there and kind of sulking about how bad his life was, he got up and began to serve the Thanksgiving meal to others who were there. Hungry. And he says, it felt so good to help others. That's kind of what radical love does. When you experience radical love, if you, really, if you really are aware of the experience, it kind of transforms you into one who can love radically. Taking care of others. Now, team, uh, City Team is an amazing program where they just pour this out. Do you know that City Team, that they uh, provide over 600,000 thousand meals because they feed people seven days a week every day people are hungry they go there last year they provided over 600,000 meals to people who were hungry in one year and that's being done by volunteers who are giving up you know stopping getting off of work and taking off from school and going and rolling up their sleeves to feed hungry people can you say radical uh, they also have a program. I know some guys who came through this program uh, that they take people off the streets and out of prison and who are addicted to drugs. Their life is essentially wasting away. Uh, and they give them the tools and the wherewithal to drive recovery in their life. And I know a couple of guys who are now to, at one of our sister churches uh, who are married, well employed, serving in the church. And they got their lives given back to them because they found some folk who radically loved them. Through City Team. 
And they got another program that they call House of Grace, for example, where uh, women who have children and they are strung out on drugs or alcohol, it's hard to find a place for, for, for women with children like that, but they've got a place uh, uh, that they call House of Grace. They bring these women and children, these mothers, their children in, and they, they help them to recover their life and they help care for their kids and get them back on their feet. Man, that's awesome. I mean, uh, they got another program where uh, they call Heritage House where they take in teenage pregnant moms and care for them to help get them standing on their feet and help them through the process of the pregnancy. Or another program where they take tons of kids out of the inner city to Santa Cruz during the summertime. Driven a lot by volunteers who've decided, you know what? I'm going to love in a not normal way. Somebody shout radical love. These are all expressions of radical love. Very much like this love that Jesus says, love your enemies in the text. So here's the point I want to make. The life of a believer, the life of someone who follows Jesus should be motivated and actually shaped by this notion of radical love. Now the Greek word that's used for love when Jesus is referring is the word agape. Everybody shout agape. It's a higher form of love. They've got others. They've got uh, eros, that's erotic love, that's romantic sexual love. They've got another word for uh, family love. They've got another word for uh, kind of uh, uh, affection and, 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 and love of friends. But this is the highest, highest love. Now, I make this point because it dawns on me that in our culture, many of us are confused when it comes to the word love. The f if, the f if we were allowed to just be honest, many of us would say, we don't exactly know what love is. And others among us would say, I got an idea what it is, but I don't actually believe in it. Let me give you an example. My wife is sitting here. When I met her 31 years ago at Grammar State University on a, on a date, I wonder if she will remember this, uh, we were just, we just kind of hanging out, and I, I just reached into the, the back pocket of my soul and pulled out a Shakespearean sonic, 116 is what it's called, and, and uh, I said to her, uh, love is not love that alters when its alteration finds or bends with a remover to remove. Oh no, it's an ever-fixed mark that looks on temperance and is never shaken. It's a star to every wandering bark. That, I, I talked to her. I was talking back then. I'm talking. Somebody say love. Come on now. I, I was trying to convey to her that that, 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 that if she would let down her bucket with me, she, she would find a love that would never forsake her, that could not be broken, that could not be removed, that would not run in the midst of a storm. I, I, I said, baby, if you let me love you, come on now. <laughs> well, she was amused by that 31 years ago. But having been with me, for 31 years now, I can now walk to her and say, love is not love that alters when its alteration finds a bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it's an ever-fixed mark that looks on temperance and is never shaken. 
And she knows what it means now. Because she's got 31 years of us going through storms and highs and lows. And I'm still here. And she's still here. But it dawns on me that many of us, we don't get to experience that kind of love, right? We experience broken love. And so we're in a, in a culture where we're just kind of confused about what real love is. I'm going to give you an example. One of the most popular albums that are out now, that's out now, is uh, Beyonce's Lemonade. <laughs> familiar with Lemonade. Now, the, the, the reason why she calls it Lemonade is if you're familiar with the songs on the album, I know many of you are, uh, that essentially these are songs about how love went wrong or how love did not prove to be what it suggested that it was and therefore gave her lemons but she took the lemons and made lemonade out of it that's the point the thematic connection of the song but now listen to the lyrics of some of the songs that she is let me just tell you about the first song that's on the list. The first song, if you got that album, you know the first song is Pray You Catch Me. That's the first song. Let me just read to the lyrics out of that song. Some of y'all know you can sing it while I'm reading it. <laughs> and I want you to compare it to, 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 to Shakespeare's Sonic. Now listen, listen. Here, here's what she writes. And she sings. You can taste... The dishonesty is all over your breath. As you pass it all so cavalier, but even that's a test. Constantly aware of it all, my lonely ear pressed against the walls of your world. I pray to catch you. I pray you catch me listening to you. That sounds a little different than love is not love that alters when its alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. And then her next, the very next song, some of y'all know what it is, it's called Hold Up. <laughs> and it's got a good beat to it, but you know, the image that defines the song is her walking down the street with a baseball bat. Boom, boom, slamming stuff. Right? What, what is the experience? The experience is that she thought she had grabbed hold to love. But what she got out of the experience was pain. And it has left her full of a sense of anger and, and really some sense of, 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 of destruction. And, and she wants to, she's, hold up. Tell the person next to you, hold up. Well, now that is reflective of our culture, is it not? Listen, I mean, we, we've, some of you can think back to your childhood when someone that you trusted said they love you, loved you, and then they molested you or violated you in some horrible way. And if you're trying to figure out, is that love? And we haven't fully recovered yet. 
uh, there's some, I just read a story back in the back about a young man who's, when he was 13 years old, his mother put him out of the car and drove off and left him. The same mother who had been saying to him earlier, she loved him. There are some of our teenagers who are with us now, probably thinking, you know, what dad says he loves me, but he's always working and working. He's never around for a game. He's never around for me to talk to about my, my issues or my... Some of you probably listening my video and, you know, God forbid, but probably some here who are in relationships that are defined by domestic violence, both women and men, and, and, and on the other side of being violently and physically abused, the perpetrator of that violence will more often than not say, you know I love you, right? Uh, many of us use the term making love with sex, whether inside of marriage or outside of marriage. But the reality is, there are many who when they think about the experience of sex, they know it has absolutely nothing to do with love. So the fact is that if we really get honest and we really strip ourselves down, right? And we really let our soul do the talking, what we would admit is for many of us, we don't actually believe in love. We're kind of cynical about love. Love feels and sounds kind of sentimental, right? It's, it's, it's not really to be taken seriously. And while we actually kind of believe that, we still look for it. Don't we? Why is that? I'm going to tell you why. Because before I showed up in my mother's womb, according to Ephesians 1, I existed in God's heart. My soul was shaped and fashioned in love. Complete love. Perfect love. And when I was born, from the moment I was born, Actually conceived, begin to evolve in the womb. Uh, my, my, my environment, I'm thinking about it in the sense of love. And when I come out of the womb, right? The, the, what, I'm, what I'm craving for more than anything else. And scientists have affirmed this again and again and again. If you want your baby to be extremely healthy, right? They say that baby, the more you touch that baby and talk to that baby and embrace that baby and sing to that baby and hug that baby and hold on to that baby, all expressions of love, the more you love that baby physically and emotionally, the healthier she or he will be. So I come out of the womb in search of this and while my environment tells me potentially that maybe it doesn't actually exist there's something in my soul that still craves for it it craves for it let me tell you why let me show you how this works I'm getting into this drawing thing this is not going to be this is not sophisticated drawing here this is this you know it's just what, it, you know, you get it. God's love. Complete. Perfect. That's what I experienced in the womb. Uh, but when, when, you, when you come out, there are levels of love, right? There, you think about the love of parents. That's a level of love. 
You think about the love of family, siblings. That's a level of love. You think about a spouse or a significant other. It's a level of love. You think about your children. It's a level of love, right? But here's the problem. All of this is imperfect love. And what my soul really craves for is this love. So if I don't actually know about this, I think the best I can get is the love from my children and my spouse. That's going to be broken. Or maybe I think the best I can get is the love of children and spouse and maybe family, but I've got to factor in all of the brokenness and the incompleteness in there. I mean, maybe the best is, is parents, but maybe my mom left me on the road when I was 13 years old. And, 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 and this is my experience of love. It makes me want to take a baseball bat and walk down the street. But if I could somehow know this love, because this is real. This is complete. This is what I'm longing for. I stopped here. I didn't know about it. I stopped here. I didn't know about it. I stopped it. But what I really want is this. That's why John 3.16 is so important. Some of you don't know. Uh, the the, the uh, King James Version of John 3.16 says, uh, I'll, I'll leave it on here. King, it says, uh, for God, so. Everybody say so. So loved the world. And we often translate that. We think of whatever we say. Well, that means that God loved the world so much. Now, that's, that's, it's accurate that he, he loves us that way. But that's not actually the, the Greek word for this. And a friend reminded me of this the other day. Uh, is autos. Which means like this. That God loved the world like this. Everybody say, like this. So the New Living Translation picks up on this, right? And New Living says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Now, so God says, I know you need this. You need this. But since you can't get to me, I'm going to send my son Jesus down to you. And, and in him, you're going to find a radical love. You're going to find a love that forgives. You're going to find a love that is incredibly generous. You're going to find a love that is sacrificial. You're not going to find anywhere in any of this the love you're going to find here. And if you can find that love here, if you can dare to believe the love here, it helps you to handle the brokenness of here. All right. Now let me talk to you about what I call mature love, this Christian love, this, 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 this agape love. I'm, I'm going to draw again. Stay with me. I'm loving this drawing stuff. Now, I practice this, what I'm about to draw right here. I practice it so I can get it right. All right, now let me see. I think I can get it right. Hold on. Wait a minute. Yep. Yep. Hot dog. I got it. <laughs> Somebody shout triangle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let me give you some words. Let me give you scripture. Here it is. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Jesus is asked by somebody trying to trap him. Oh, what's the 
most, what's the greatest commandment? It says Jesus replies, he doesn't hesitate. Now this is a passage we've seen forever, but there's a little insight here. I think it's incredible. Here's what he says. You shall love the Lord thy God, right? With all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And then he says, there's a second commandment. No, he said, this is the first and greatest commandment because this is about loving God. Everybody say God, right? Getting into relationship with, when you, when you love God, what you're doing is you're getting into relationship with complete love. See? He says, but then there's a second commandment that is equally as important. Watch it. You should love your neighbor, if I say neighbor, neighbor. as your what? All right, now watch this. My ability to love my neighbor is shaped by my ability to love what? Oh, my goodness. All right. So here we got some insight about what mature Christian love looks like. It begins with, thou shall love the Lord. Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it starts with God. But mature love... There's love for God, but in order for me to accurately love others, it suggests I got to love self. But mature love is not just love for self and love for God, it is also the love for others, that's neighbors. You can add to that and put parentheses, you can put family, friends, Fred. No, seriously, Fred at the Homeless shelter. Right, well. All right. Now, here's where the teaching gets interesting. Listen. If I don't believe in God, and I don't love God, and I don't know that God loves me, He's not a part of the formula. That means I'm just love, I'm loving self and I'm loving others. Now here's the problem. We're shaped in such a way that if we don't know that God exists, if there's no place for God in our lives, we end up turning other folk into our God. Or we turn ourselves into our God. Idolize. That's the person who falls deeply in love and your heart is broken and the person walks out and you want to take your life because your everything was there that makes you want to take a baseball bat and walk down the street swinging because my everything my children that went astray my parent that didn't act like they were supposed to act my everything also if God is not here I have no space since my everything is here between self and others when things go wrong where does hope come from that's part of the election right now, right? We're going to be a big election on Tuesday. 
everybody is in feeling like we're in trouble. Why? Because a lot of folk don't have forgotten that God is on the throne. So it's, we left with this. And if I'm left with this, they say, oh man, I got to pick either one or that one. Come on now. They ain't here trying to fall on me. I, know, I must have touched something. <laughs> Because I blocked God out of the picture. So that makes me trapped in the human experience. And the human experience is broken. And I'm in trouble. But if I put God in the picture, good God Almighty, y'all ain't. Okay, let me finish. All right. Y'all see that, right? All right. I may need a little help. Hold on a minute. I got it. I got it. Okay. Now, what happens when we love God and self, but not others. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 gives us uh, insight about that. Here's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. The first three verses, they're going to throw it up there. But here is basically what it says is this. If you can speak in all languages across the world, right? Including the languages of angels. Paul is talking to people where they're speaking in tongues, spiritual ecstatic expression, right? But didn't love others. You'd be noisy gong. Or clinging symbol. Watch the next one. Next verse. He said, but what if, if you have the gift of prophecy and you understand all of God's secret plan and possess all knowledge and, and, and you have such faith that you can move mountains. He's reminding people that Jesus said, if you have a certain amount of faith in Matthew, you can speak to the mountain and remove words and say, you got that faith, right? You got that faith that you can move mountains. But you didn't love others. It'll be what? Nothing. Next verse. Watch this. I give everything I have to the poor. You remember he was teaching about loving others, right? Caring for others. You know? He said, look, you're going to give all you got to the poor, right? Even sacrifice your body. A lot of folk was sacrificing. I could boast about it. But if I didn't, if I did it without a sense of love for others, it has gained me what? What does he mean? Now listen, he didn't say there's no benefit in that stuff. Of course. He says it hasn't gained you anything. Why? Because if my religion is not, is just focused on God and me, it's an inward experience. Faith turns inwardly. And it loses the power to expand my heart. And it's only in the expansion of my heart, my heart grows generous. Expansion of my heart, my heart becomes more sensitive, more caring. The expansion of my heart, which happens when I engage with others, is where my transformation occurs. So if I don't love others, but I love God and self, he says that's an inadequate religious experience. Watch this. If I if I love God and others, but don't love self. You know people like that. That means that I run the risk of giving myself totally. This is the person I heard. I read another story back in the back where the guy said that his mom would let all these uh, 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 people come into the house who didn't have place to stay. They would come in and, 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 and they didn't, and would mean that they didn't have food. They would be dangerous. They would be fighting. 
all in. He was scared. He was a little boy in this house. And all these strangers were circling through the house. Well, listen. You may be trying to love God and love others. But what about here? She created unsafe. So healthy love has all three of these. I love God. I love self. I love us. Now, here's an interesting little insight. In this way, God loves the world. He gave his only son. Listen, some of us might say, well, because I love God, I'm going to love self. And because I love God, I'm going to love others. Be careful. Because the problem with that formula is the love starts with you. And if the love starts with me, stuff can get disrupted. The, the actual translation of the word, love your enemies, the enemy is translated, better translated, those who are hostile towards you. And you can find that in your house. Right? You can find that on your job. You can find that in church sometimes. Right? Those who are hostile towards you. And if you get hostile towards me, and if the love starts with me, oh my, mm-mm. If, 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 maybe even I love myself because I love her. No, no, no. Because I'm going to do some crazy stuff. And I'm going to disappoint some people. And sometimes you can disappoint people so badly that, that, that you, 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 you just said, I'm, I'm lost. Let me give you the perfect example. I got a dirty rag. I asked for a dirty rag. Everybody say dirty rag. I asked for this dirty rag. They got me a really dirty rag. And, 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 and I'm going to take my wedding ring and I'm going to put it in here. It's, it's high value. I'm going to put it in here. All right. Now. I say, don't say, because I love God, I'm going to love me. Uh-uh. Here's what you say. Because God loves me, I'm going to love me. Well, what's the difference? If you actually, by faith, can believe the scripture, that this is how God loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And if you can actually believe that the God of all creation who created this universe with all these millions and billions of galaxies, the God who says that he knows the very, how many hair strings is on your head, which he doesn't have to count much for me. <laughs> if, if, if you actually believe that what the writer in Ephesians says, that before he made the foundation of the earth, that he knew you. And chose you in Christ. If you can actually believe that, that God looked at before he made uh, uh, the creation. He looked down time. He saw 1964, November the 29th. And that Herman Hamilton was going to come out. Come on. And then he looked down time. Romans 8, 28. For whom he foreknew. He, he predestined. He created destiny. He looked downtown And he saw the direction I was going to take. He saw the craziness that I was going to do. And, 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 and he knew that I was going to get to a point where I was going to look at my life and I was going to feel like a dirty rag that is used, that, that should just be thrown away. But, 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 but he said, no, but if you can believe that this is how I loved you, Herman, I gave my only begotten son. Why? Because wrapped up in the dirty rag is something precious. Don't throw yourself away. Let me redeem you. Because there's something precious 
wrapped up in the dirty So it helps me that because God loves me, he says, he says, if the scripture is true, because he loves me, he loved me enough to send his son, that means that there has to be, I don't care how low I fall, there has to be something precious in me. So you see, because God loves me, I love me. Even when I can't find an argument for doing it other than the fact God loves me. Well, my enemy, same here. Don't say I love other folk because I love God. No, because it starts with you. But if you say, I love others because God loves them. Why? Because wrapped up in their dirty rag is something precious. So he says, love your enemies. He doesn't stop there. He says, pray. Everybody say pray. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, here's what he means. As I start praying for the, the person I'm having a dirty rag experience with. That's, that's what Beyonce should. Rather than walking down the street with the bat. Come on now. <laughs> Sometimes it's destructive, so you've got to reposition yourself. So you've got to step out of the relationship, right? But, the, but, 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 but keep my heart open, and I'll pray. And so as I start praying... Right? I have a revelation, and the revelation is this. Hurt people hurt people. If you hurt me, it's because you've been hurt. The average person who molests a child has been molested. The average person who perpetrates domestic violence has been a victim of domestic violence, grew up in it. Because they're wounded, they wound you. So when I step back and start praying, I can begin to pray, God, heal me. But I can also begin to pray, God, heal them. And now I'm practicing loving radically. Here's what loving radically would do, and I'm finished. Here's what loving radically would do. When you start loving like that, it inoculates you against becoming hateful. Let me tell you a story. Last story. Here it is. This is a true story. I got to get the guy's name. Here it is. I wrote it and got it down because I wanted to get it. He's an author. His name is Richard Paul Evans. And he tells this story. Here's the story he tells. I'm loving your enemies. Loving those who are hostile. You can be in your house. He says, <clears throat> his daughter came up to him the other day and said, uh, Dad, when I was growing up, I was so scared that you and Mom was going to divorce. Y'all fought like cat and dogs. She said, by the time I got to be 12 years old, you were fighting so badly that I actually started to hope that you would be divorced for some help to come. And she said, but I'm sure I'm happy you worked it out. It caused him to start thinking about what happened that they worked it out. He remembered his story. He said, on one particular trip, he said they were fighting like cat and dog just every day. House was full of hostility. Some of y'all know this in your own experience. And he said he went on a book tour. He called his wife. They got into this nasty fight. She hung up on him. He went back to his big fancy hotel room and got in the shower. He was so angry, he just started screaming at God. 
God, why you put us together? She's nice and she's a good person. I'm a good person, but we're just not good together. And she's, you know, he's just screaming and screaming at God. And finally he says, and and you're not going to change her. So why don't you just let me go? I just want a divorce because you're not going to, you know, you you know, she's not going to change. And he said he heard God whisper to him. No, but you can change. He said he he got out of the shower. He prayed all night, prayed the next day on the plane going back. And he saw a shift happen in his heart. The next morning he woke up in the bed with her. He turned over to her and he said, how can I make your day better? She looked at him glaring. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Slammed him and, you know, humiliated him. And finally, but he just persisted. He said, no, I'm serious. Tell me, how can I make your day better? And in a sarcastic way, she said, you want to make my day better? You really want to make my day better? Clean the kitchen. So he cleaned the kitchen. Spotless. The next day, morning, woke up, turned over to her and said, how can I make your day better today? glared at him, screamed at him, cursed at him, just full of such anger. And finally, he kept saying, no, but I'm serious. So he, she said, well, you want to make my day better? Sarcastic. <laughs> Do something about that garage out there. So he said he came this close to going off on him. <laughs> he held back because he knew he had to get to work. The garage hadn't been clean in a year and a half. He went on out there. It took him two hours to clean the garage. Next morning, woke up, turned over to her. How can I make your day better? I'm talking about radical love in the face of hostility. And she says, she screams at him a little bit, but this time she's taken him back. She didn't really give him an answer. Next day, same thing. Several days in, finally she breaks down crying. And she says, you know what? I I don't deserve the way you're loving me. She says, I'm sorry. She says, you know, I'm at the source of this. He said, no, no, we're at the source of this. But I've just decided that I'm going to treat you like you deserve to be. Come on, I'm going to treat you. Love is not love that alters when its alteration finds or bends with a remover to remove. Oh, no, it's an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempers. And finally, and finally, and finally, she, 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 the next day or two, she started asking him, how can I serve you? And to this day, he says their marriage has taken a full, you know, turned all the way around. He says, not perfect. They have some times where they get into it. It's not like they don't ever fight. But he says, it is nothing like it was. That's what radical love looks like. That's the power. Unless you think it's sentimental, ask Gandhi in India, and he used that same Christian principle, love your enemies, and he freed a nation. Unless you think it's sentimental and weak and and ask Dr. King and those who worked in the civil rights and he took that same principle, turned it into nonviolence and didn't just set 
African Americans free. He set America free. There's power in loving radically. Well, here's where we end. If there's any day that we need to be focused on loving our enemies, it's on Wednesday. Because whatever happens on the 8th Tuesday, 50% of America is going to be wanting to walk down the street with a baseball bat. And it is the opportunity for followers of Jesus to shine. So two things I want to say. I'm over, I know I'm over time, but it's worth it. Two things I want to say. One, make sure you vote. Figure out what you think God's values are and how best to represent those and go vote. Two reasons why. One, American democracy is a gift from God to the world. And we have a responsibility to exercise the vote. Is at the heart of it? Secondly, from the American Revolution to the civil rights struggle, too many people have died so that you can vote. Tell the person next to you, go vote. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to go vote. But the real work starts on Wednesday. For some, it's going to start Tuesday night. (laughs) And if you're on the losing side, it is an opportunity for you to remember that Jesus said, watch this. He says, those who are peacemakers will be called the children of God. And so if you're on the losing side, you have to be a source of hope and faith for everybody else that you know that's on the losing side. And you need to remind them, we only have one president. When we pledge our allegiance to the flag, we're going to support, we're saying ultimately we support that president, whoever that person is. Because if that person succeeds, we're all blessed. If that person falls and fails, we're all in trouble, right? So, because you're a follower of Jesus, you got one president, but watch this. I've got one Lord. And my Lord, y'all ain't listening, is is here. And so at the end of the day, I'm not overly worried about the president because God is still on the throne. And the scripture tells me he allows kings to come and he allows kings to go. And he can even use a bad decision to make you better. To make us better. So you have to, you you challenge the people around you. You rally them. You be a sense of faith and a sense of hope. And be an expression of love and reach out to the other side. If you're on the winning side, don't gloat. People are going to be hurting. Be a source of hope and faith and reach out to those on the other side. And you see some other folk around you gloating, remind them, at least as a follower of Jesus, how you going to act. And the church, there's a thousand of us going to hear this by the end of the day and not mention those, not counting those by video. And, 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 and we can be bridge 
builders. We can be the salt of the earth. We can be the light of the world starting Wednesday. I'm just talking to Jesus followers now. Will you do that? Let me tell you. It's the greatest exercise in discipleship you will experience because it means to begin to feel, figure out, especially if you're on the opposite side, how to start loving and praying for that candidate that you just can't stand right now. You know why? Because she or he is wrapped up in dirty rags. But God has said there's something precious. Just like you are wrapped up in dirty rags. And God has said there's something precious. I'm finished. All right. Take out your connection card. There are some next steps there. I encourage you to fill them out. Stop by the table. Sign up. On uh, with the uh, uh, where you're gonna serve, we're gonna practice what I call habits of love by serving. And uh, under the response to the message, put you know, I'm gonna practice radical love through giving and serving if you're serious. But the mantra, I want you to listen to this song. Here's how we're gonna end we're gonna end together. The mantra I want us to leave here today with God is on the throne. Say that with me.